He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And yesterday, I guess we proved it was number one show. We made breaking news worldwide with uh, what happened with the... Uh, Congressman-elect uh, George Santos, and uh, we still await to see what's going to happen on that. In the studio with us, we have uh, Rudy Washington. Rumor has it he may be related uh, to George Washington, but you never know. A, you know, a Washington <laughs> uh, of a different benefits. A, a Washington of a different color. What does that mean? It doesn't uh, mean anything. I, I got to be treated with respect. I'm a great great grandchild of George Washington. Absolutely, you should be treated with respect regardless. And yes. on my but, side here, but my idea of respect is a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia Serrani, Lydia, uh, and we also have Judge Weinberg on the line with us too. I'm right here. All right, there you go, Judge Weinberg, on the line with calling us. calling in from the deep, deep frozen state of. Where are you, Sag Harbor or Long Island? <laughs> Long Island. North Fork. North Fork. North of the Fork. Judge, how are you? This is Rudy. Mr. Deputy Mayor, how are you? I'm blessed. Now, uh, we're supposed to have... Uh, we have uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, Dershowitz on the line in? with us. Just a couple of decades at Harvard Law School. He is the leading constitutional lawyer in the country. He's also the leading voice in the support of Israel. Welcome back to uh, Cats and Night, Professor Dershowitz. Just before you came on, Title 42, Supreme Breaking Court... Breaking news we had. Right. The Supreme yep. Court blocks Biden administration for now from ending migrant expulsions under Title 42. It looks like the Supreme Court will then hear oral arguments in February, but in the meantime, expulsions but will continue. Before we talk about it, yeah. uh, they, they had on Fox News before I was watching it, uh, they had uh, 16,000 migrants predicted the border, and 2,400 were sent back under Title 42, but 14,000, and we got a new a new people to take care of. Oh, it's, it's it was only twenty four hundred to Title forty two, twenty four hundred mm. out of sixteen thousand. Wow! So it's what not as effective mean? as we think as we think it is. It, it, it's yeah. a you're talking about one day, one day, right? You're not talking about a month. You're talking about one day. It's a drop in the bucket, and it's, it's not technically. Can uh, we afford that that many? Now, what we talked about with Curtis this morning, I was on me and Curtis at the Sid show this morning. Listen to. 500,000 taxpayers, including Congressman King's uh, daughter, left town and went to a different state. In one year? In one year. Wow. But And 500,000 migrants came in in one year, at least. So I said to uh, uh, Borough President Frisella, get one of your uh, nuclear scientist gurus, figure out how much the 500,000 uh, lost taxpayers, how much they were paying in taxes versus how much it's costing us for the 500,000 um, migrants. Right. The people that leave are you tend to be high earners. John, it's an easy answer. Tell us. The easy answer is that we've lost to productive, tax-paying, job-creating citizens, and we have the people here who are going to be dependents. That's the problem. Yeah, my brother is one. He took his disposable income and moved to South Carolina, yeah. our hometown. Peter King's uh, daughter took her, her disposable income and moved to uh, North Carolina. 
She has a big, beautiful house, he told me, and she's paying a fraction in taxes compared to what she was paying but, on well, Long Island. We have a guest, same story. Professor Dershowitz, what can be done? Title 42, it's just a small deportation tool. Ultimately, immigration reform needs to happen, obviously. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And this is only a stopgap. What the Supreme Court basically said in a 5 to 4 decision with Justice Gorsuch, who is normally uh, with the five, normally it's six to three, uh, Gorsuch uh, went with the liberal justices and and, and uh, uh, wouldn't go along with uh, the majority opinion. So we don't know what will happen in February when the case is actually argued. This was just a stopgap measure. This was the Supreme Court saying we don't want to contribute to the confusion. We don't want to issue a decision that would end Title 42 tonight at midnight, and then we would get blamed for everything that happened, based including on murder. How many that, people are those people that are, are being, we're letting in and murder people? Well, they're just kicking the can down the road. Uh, and I don't think we can predict at this point what's going to happen. I would hope that Congress, in the meantime, could get its act together. Of course, starting in January, we have a divided uh, Congress, House of Representatives on one side, Senate on the other side. So it's unlikely that we're going to see a legislation, but this requires legislation. This situation is untenable as a matter of permanency, and the Supreme Court just filled in the gaps today. Alan, it's Richard Weinberg. I was reading an article in the last couple of weeks that said stop the nonsense about rationalization on the health issue on Title yeah. 42 because it's COVID. The real reason they can do something about it is that the president of the United States under federal statute, and forgive me, I don't have the statute in front of me, specifically allows him to make changes to suspensions of the immigration law. Do you know about that? Yeah, and and that's what Gorsuch said. Gorsuch said, look, I'm not getting involved into whether this is permissible or not. Let me tell you, it has nothing to do with COVID. He said, the COVID emergency is over. I read that while I was coughing and wheezing from COVID. So there was a little bit of irony in that to me. I'm now suffering from COVID. But he said the COVID emergency is over and does not justify uh, Title 42, which was designed as an emergency COVID measure. So if you want to do it, you need to do it under a different justification. That's why I think the result in February is uh, essentially unpredictable. This is part and parcel of a broader policy of the Supreme Court saying we don't want administrative agencies making the kinds of decisions that Congress ought to be making. We don't want the executive making the kinds of decisions that Congress ought to be making. These are decisions for the elected legislative branch. That's what the Supreme Court is saying. That's the that's the long term message of what they're saying. And, Professor, right now, as we speak, uh, COVID is exploding in China. Yeah. Yeah, it's exploding in my house, too, with both me and my wife. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get over it. We're, we're having chicken soup. And let me tell you, whatever they say about other cures, chicken soup is the way to go. Are you in Israel, Professor Dershowitz, or you're uh, here? No, I'm in, I'm in New York City, right in Manhattan. Oh, you must have got it traveling, maybe. Probably. Probably yeah. got it traveling. Uh, but, uh, you know, I stayed away from getting it for two and a half years, wore a mask all the time, was really, really careful. But, you know, when you're 84 years old, even though I've had five um, vaccinations, you're you're susceptible. So we're getting over it. And uh, we took a little walk today for the first time, which was very nice. And we hope we'll take two walks tomorrow. And by the end of the week, maybe it'll be gone.
Professor oh, Dershowitz, uh, George Santos, we had him on the show oh, yeah. last yeah, night, yeah. John Katzmatidis' exclusive interview, and he admitted that he's embellished his resume. That's what he called it, embellished. He said that he what did he, he he admitted to that he didn't go to graduate from college. There were a couple of things, but he kind of worked around yeah, it. Of Goldman course, a lot Sachs, of people, Goldman Sachs, yeah. yeah, Goldman well, Sachs, and he said he was Jew slash ish because he said his mother yeah. something. It, he just talked to, kind of like in circles. He was like Senator well, Warren, he right? Was, he, was well, he was like no offense. He was like a lot of politicians. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> Senator Blumenthal is the prime example. Yes, as you know, Senator Blumenthal had bragged about uh, his role in Vietnam and how he was booed and taunted when he came back from Vietnam and then had to admit, of course, that he served with distinction um, in the Marines, but in the United States, had never been in Vietnam. He fessed up to it. And Senator Warren, who claimed to be overwhelmingly, yeah. She claimed to be Native American. And then, of course, we have Eric Swalwell, who had an affair with a Chinese spy and he lied about it. So there have been a, quite a few liars on both sides of the aisle. Now they're talking about not having him be seated. Do they have any kind of legal recourse? Nope. No, no. The only basis for not seating a, a congressman is if he doesn't live in the state or wasn't 25 years old. Um, they could look into his ethics once he becomes a member of Congress into his ethics statements and his financial statements, because he's also made misstatements about his finances. He said he makes money off 13 buildings that he owns, and there's no indication of that. There's some indication he may own one building in Rio de Janeiro, uh, but there's a, there's a lot of a lot of misstatements. You know, uh, my favorite was, of course, where he said, "I'm not Jewish. I'm Jew." Ish, (laughs) but then he said that his grandparents were Holocaust survivors, and there doesn't seem to be any evidence to uh, support that. But uh, he will not be able to be precluded from serving in uh, Congress. And Professor, wouldn't there be uh, uh, McCarthy's call if he's seated as the chair, uh, you know, the speaker? No, not as to whether he gets seated. The, this, the no, the ethics, not... ethics investigation. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's no question. And and committee assignments. And, right. uh, you know, he may not get committee assignments based on, on this. That's all, um, whoever the speaker um, is going to be, and that's still up in, in the air. Uh, that That's an enormously powerful position when it comes to the majority in the uh, House of Representatives. And, you know, he is part of the majority. One of the reasons the Republicans are lining up behind him is it's a, it's a pretty thin majority at this point, and they don't they don't want to lose one. I don't think they'll lose him. And, you know, one hopes that this is an object lesson, and uh, from now on he'll... Yeah, well, he'll I, I don't know how they could do anything to him after you have Swalwell sleeping with a Chinese spy, and then he mm-hmm. sits on the highest uh, intelligence committee and... Uh, Speaker Pelosi did not remove him. Well, look at look at Elon Omer, who talks about how the only reason that members of Congress vote for Israel is because of the Benjamins, baby. In other words, they're bribed and they're paid. And she she was appointed to serve on the the, the, the highest ranking committee foreign in relations. Congress, foreign relations. Yeah. Uh, so you know you can't have a double standard. Uh, you would hope for a clearer standard, and you would hope that voters would hold accountable. Uh, members uh, of Congress who have gotten office through misstatements, but that's two years off. We'll see what happens. What about Adam Schiff? I mean, they're... Oh, my God. <laughs> what about Adam well, Schiff? I mean, he completely lied. He wasted millions and millions of dollars in taxpayer money. 
for a, an investigation that he lied about. Well, yeah. if you start looking into the lies of sitting members of Congress, you would have Congress doing nothing but looking into uh, sitting members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. Um, obviously, there's a lot of that going on. And uh, uh, that's why the first uh, Article One of the Constitution gives members of Congress <clears throat> immunity from having to answer about the lies they tell on the floor of the House or the Senate. They yeah, look, look at what Senator Reid. You have a right to lie. Yeah, yeah look what Senator Reid did to Mitt Romney, you mm-hmm. know, on the floor. About his taxes. About yeah, his taxes. So many, so many examples of that. Uh, there was a case back in the, I think right after the Civil War, maybe it was right before the Civil War, where um, a member of the South Carolina Senate delegation uh, hit over the head a uh, Massachusetts um, a senator and almost killed him and, and, and gave him a permanent injury. And, and nothing happened to him. Because he was on the floor? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, we, there's a long sorted history of things that are allowed to happen when you're on the floor of the House or the Senate. And uh, it's not something we should be proud of, but it's something that the Constitution uh, essentially uh, permits. Virtually every congressman has taken advantage of that uh, privileges uh, clause in the Constitution and has said things that they couldn't have said uh, off the floor of Congress, so defamations and uh, other kinds of things. So McCarthy, um, um, McCarthy, the Speaker, can make a decision about whether to appoint the committees or what committees they'll be. That's right, and that's maybe the proper remedy, but it has to apply both sides. It has to there has to be a deal between both leaders of both parties that we will not tolerate lying. It can't be something that's applied only to one side, but not the other. Well, Professor, before you run, I want to pose a question to you. Sure. Um, You know, we had this big debate here in New York City about illegals voting. Um, Can the state pass a law that would allow illegals to vote? (sighs) No, that's really, that's a hard question. I, I, doubt it. Um, um, it, it. The question is, can you pass a law generally allowing non-citizens to vote? I think the answer to that probably is yes. I don't think the Constitution either compels it or forbids it. It would probably leave it up to the state. It would not be Alan, a good idea to do. Yeah. Under the state Constitution, the interpretation so far from the state Supreme Court, which is the trial court, said that you have to, when New York City tried to give non-citizens the right to vote, that no, you can't do that. You had to be a citizen under the state constitution. The yeah. problem is that while the state can't do it by a state law, local governments can try to do it. And if they pack the uh, New York Court of Appeals as they're trying to do with left-wing progressives, and that's the latest gambit, they could sustain those kind of local laws. That's the danger. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is not about the right to vote. It's about people voting for one side rather than the other. It, well, even, uh, each party it, is trying to load the electorate in their favor. Well, see, even worse than that, Professor, I worry about – I looked at how five people in the Congress whipsawed the Democratic Party out into Crazyville, um, and we're allowing people who don't share our values, our culture, or anything else – and if you start allowing them to vote and place people within the Congress, uh, next thing you know, you know, we will not be allied with Israel or, or for that matter, maybe even England, if they did something wrong, um, our, our traditional base of, of allies. Uh, so I, I'm concerned about the future of America and its foreign politics 
uh, and how that all would work out. I, it, you know, this is not going to end well. It's not going to end well, this open border thing. It's not sustainable. It's not, end well. it's not sustainable. We, New York cannot afford to take in all those migrants and lose all those taxpayers. That's it. Look, we're a country of immigrants, and we have to have rational immigration policy that allows immigrants who will help the country, as so many immigrants from so many hundreds of years. Swear allegiance to the country. Swear allegiance to the country. Not bring any diseases in. Well, thank you so much, Professor Dershowitz, as always, for all your wisdom, insight, and we wish you um, health and happiness in the new year, especially health, and you guys will be fine. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year, Alan. Now, when we come back, John Solomon will be with us to give us a breakdown of what's going on around the country, around the world. Keep it right here. Cats at Night. This is Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis. You're a classic example of the people who built this country. On 77 WABC. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night. And uh, what exciting shows we have today. I mean, John Solomon is coming on, I understand. And uh, and he always has some hot stories. Lydia, why, why don't you bring him on? On the line with us right now is John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what do you have for us? A lot of breaking news today uh, as people wake up or come back to work and realize just how bad the travel season was over Christmas weekend. Uh, the Department of Transportation says that it is going to open an investigation in Southwest Airlines to find out why it had so many problems connecting people with flights and also so many problems getting them with the luggage afterwards. Uh, thousands upon thousands of flights have been canceled since last Thursday. Some of it's the weather, but other other uh, factors, including outdated computer systems and bad logistics, are also being looked at. But the feds are going to take a look at an airline extensively for the first time uh, in, a, in many years. So that's going to be a big one. And then just a few moments ago, John, I just saw denied. I just saw a few moments ago. I think they were canceling 2,500 flights today, which is... Today, yeah. That's a big number. Over 10,000 flights, yep. That's a big, big number. It is. Many, many people have resorted to jumping in cars, (laughs) Uh, no longer willing to wait at the airport or wait for the airline to come up. Uh, And a lot of people who have flights scheduled Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are getting notices saying, would you like to move your flight? Uh, they're trying to find every way possible to alleviate what has now become a, a massive backlog in America's airports. And Southwest Airlines, by far the worst of all the airlines this holiday season. So also, other breaking news out of Arizona just a few minutes ago, a state judge denied Governor-elect uh, Katie Hobbs' request to sanction Kerry Lake. Kerry Lake had sued to raise some questions about election counting in Maricopa County, the largest county in Arizona. The judge found that those problems existed, but they weren't enough to overturn the election. Katie Hobbs wanted uh, Carrie Lake to write a big check to her. The judge said that was unnecessary, turned that down just a few months ago. That story is also getting a lot of attention uh, today. And then uh, this morning we had an important story, new text messages from the time around the January 6th riot shows that the night before January 6th, the Capitol Security Apparatus, the police and the sergeant-at-arms in the House and Senate, received a warning from U.S. intelligence that there might be an airplane crashed into the Capitol the next day. Uh, and the, the security apparatus decided not to tell any of the lawmakers. It, it required the media leaking it before 
anyone thought it would be a good idea to warn lawmakers of this potential threat. Further signs that the security apparatus inside the Capitol has been flawed. That story has been getting a lot of attention today as well. Wow. You know what story interests me that I'm looking at, justthenews.com, is this one about Christians facing genocide amid rise and persecution in at least 18 countries. I mean, we often hear about people being persecuted. We know about the Uyghur Muslims in China. We know about, obviously, anti-Semitism and hate crimes. But people forget that Christians are often under attack. Yeah, yeah. And facing not, not just attacks, but death. That is one of the big concerns here. This was a report put out by a Catholic group, uh, uh, Aid to the Church in Need, and it found, it did a, a, a sweeping review of the countries that are known to have human rights violations and found a significant growth uh, in uh, the number of Christians facing attacks and uh, being killed in the last year. One of the places where extremism has uh, reared its head it was a place that Christianity was often embraced in the past, uh, Africa, a growing hostility to Christians as uh, other religions like Islam move into the region, and there are some extremists in those regions now going after Christians. So the report highlights a lot of these problems, uh, and uh, it's funny, a lot in the media aren't talking about this, but this is a real issue. When you talk to Christian missionaries in the world, they said they have not seen the sort of threat they're seeing in the last year at any time in the recent 20 or 30 years. So a growing problem that is often happening uh, in, in the silence of the news media. Why is it that the news media only seems to cover what they want to cover? Anything that kind of doesn't yeah. fit their narrative, you know? Yeah. Not, of course, your website or not WABC Radio and other media outlets. I don't want to generalize, but you do. You have some media companies that only want to cover what they cover. And we always talk about this. Whoever controls the message controls the masses. And that's why it's so important to tell the truth when you are doing any type of piece, any type of package or story. Yeah, there's no doubt. And a great example of that, Lydia, is all of the lack of coverage in the mainstream media about these Twitter files. We now have overwhelming evidence that multiple government agencies, from the health to the law enforcement side, FBI to CDC, were regularly involved in pressuring social media to censor Americans' opinions, many times opinions that were rooted in truth and in fact, uh, and you barely can find a mention of it in any of the mainstream news articles. One of the greatest um, threats and, and um, examples of threats to free speech in the last 50 years and the media is virtually silent. There was a tremendous column over the weekend by a University of Chicago professor lamenting that the very um, organizations that rely on free speech for their business, news media, social media, academic institutions, were among the most silent about this growing censorship. And that's uh, a great example of the sort of uh, failure of the news media to cover all sides of a story. And, John, that's what you always try to do. You always try to cover all, both sides of every single story. That's what we had on well, George uh, Santos. Uh, on last night, night we had George Santos that was uh, being criticized. And this morning we had the person... Uh, we had uh, Zimmerman that was running against him to give, get his side of the story. Tremendous work. It was such a big scoop by WABC yesterday and, uh, you know, starts off this man's congressional career on quite a, uh, quite a, a difficult note. But um, those are the sort of stories that all journalists used to do in the past, but it's harder and harder to well, find I said people that who want to ask the hard questions. He won the election, even though he lied. But if we got rid of every congressman that lied in Washington, uh, we wouldn't have any congressmen. Uh, That'd be a good point. And uh, that he should be seated. And if the U.S. attorney finds anything wrong or if the election commission finds anything wrong, then they'll deal with it. 
But meanwhile, he won the election. He should be seated. And you know, it's funny, John Solomon. So people were asking me, they said, well, how did John Katzmatidis get George Santos? I said, he asked him. That's all he did. And when you have a reputation of being fair and you're saying, hey, listen, I want to hear your side of the story. I'm not going to attack you. Then people will often speak. And now, of course, everybody's contacting George Santos. But from what I'm hearing, no one else really did to get his side of the story yesterday when he said he was going to speak out. And so when John reached out to him, that's why he spoke to us exclusively in first. And uh, he gave his side of the story. So we shall see what will happen. Anything else uh, you want to let everybody know about John Solomon? A lot of people are keeping their eyes on the United States Supreme Court. It could rule any moment now on uh, whether or not it's going to take the Title 42 review. And if it does, that would allow this um, current block on Title 42 expiring to continue until the justices decide that. So all eyes are on that. The Border Patrol, uh, the Homeland Security Department, immigration advocates all watching the court could come today, but is expected sometime this week. All right. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. Of course, if we get some more breaking news, we will be reaching out to you once again. John Solomon, JustTheNews.com. Happy New Year, John Solomon. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you. That's one smart guy, that John Solomon. And I like to talk to him more often during the week. Uh, absolutely. Lydia. Absolutely. Let's go. Let's take a break and also go to Lou Dobbs to find out the uh, financial markets did. And then when we come back, Melissa DeRosa, Secretary to Governor Cuomo wants to make some comments. This is Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis. And you're a classic example of the people who built this country. On 77 WABC. John Katsimatidis. 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. In studio, we have Rudy Washington, John Katsimatidis, and myself, Lydia Serrani. On the line, we have Judge Weinberg, as well as Melissa DeRosa, the former secretary to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Melissa DeRosa. Great to be back, guys. Melissa, I have to ask you, I know you were listening to John's exclusive interview with uh, George Santos. I want to hear your thoughts. You know, look, and I said this uh, last week when I was on your show, the guy is a total fraud. I mean, he can dance around it all he wants, and he can say, oh, I didn't mean that my family was Holocaust survivors. When I said I was Jewish, I said I was Jewish. And, you know, my company, maybe I didn't work for these investment banking firms, but my company had relationships with, I mean, he was, he's a total fraud. But at the same time, you know, he was elected. And so we live in a country where we stand by the will of the voters. And so at this point, I really think that the fate of George Santos is up to, you know, his constituents in the next election. And short of that, I think that the Republicans in the House, if they're going to, you know, hold themselves up as being credible, the Ethics Committee needs to undergo a serious investigation. And it's now sort of up to them in terms of whether or not he receives a censure or whether or not he's expelled. But but, you know, there's a lot of hysteria. It's clear the guy is not going to resign preemptively. And, you know, again, where was the press and, and where was the, the Zimmerman campaign? Right. And, and I, I, you know, uh, Melissa, this is Rudy Washington. I, I don't know who's advising him. Uh, he, he answered the question on John's show. And if I was he, I would go sit down on a couch somewhere and shut my mouth. But I hear he's doing other interviews. He's going on Tucker Carlson tonight. I mean, I, I don't know what's going through his head. Judge Weinberg, what do you think? 
I think uh, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington is absolutely correct. I sit there quietly until the moment passed. You said enough. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, sort of rule one of crisis management is answer the question and don't make any more news, because every time the guy opens his mouth, especially if he is a sociopath, which it seems he might be, you know, there's a good shot that he'll change his story each time he talks. So it's like you answer the question once, refer people to your prior comments on John's show and move forward. Uh, Melissa, Melissa is absolutely you, right. You said that, but he fits the typical characteristics of a sociopath. Yes. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because, and I said this on your show last week too, you know, Julia Salazar, who's a Democratic Socialist who's in the state Senate, she was also a big liar. You know, she claimed she was an immigrant. She claimed she was poor. She claimed she was Jewish. And she was none of those things. And she was still elected. Now, in that situation, the press had outed all of those things prior to her election. So voters made the affirmative decision to elect her despite the fact that she had, you know, these tendencies to lie and was a little bit of a sociopath herself. And in this situation, voters didn't know it really in a big way until after the fact. And, you know, the other question is, had they known earlier, maybe they still would have elected the guy. I don't know. You know, the Republican wave in Long Island was really strong this year, as we all saw. But voters were deprived of that information when they cast their ballots. But, you know, here we are. So if I were advising this guy, I would say sit down and shut up and, you know, hope you don't get kicked out by your own party in the House, which would be an incredible thing, and I don't see happening. Well, speaking but, of uh, uh, Jewish members of Congress, Alexandria Casio cortez has now revealed her Jewish heritage. She said, I knew it, I sensed it, just saw an article come out. <laughs> she spoke at an event organized by Jewish people for racial and economic justice at the Jackson Heights Jewish Center in Queens, and she talked about her family's uh, Jewish heritage. She traces it back to the Spanish Inquisition, she said her family consists of Sephardic Jews. So, Judge Weinberg, she's a she's a tribesman now. She's part of your tribe. I'm so, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Harry Siegel actually did a phenomenal column in the Daily News last Sunday about people, you know, exploiting Judaism and pretending to be Jewish as they're running for office, and it just, you know, you can't make it up. Julia Salazar, exactly. That's what she did, too. She pretended. And I and almost say, pretended to be gay or is he gay? Nobody knows. I mean, I it's up to. I think he's gay. Really? I think so. Because he did some stuff in Brazil they're talking about now with the boyfriend or I don't know. Anyway, uh, so let's let's move forward. I know, Judge Weinberg, you want to talk about this subject. Hector LaSalle, it looks like Governor Hochul, yeah, she nominated this guy to be the chief of uh, state Supreme Court, state, state chief judge, right, of New York State. And you've got the progressive left. They want to squash it. It's not looking good. Explain. Well, and I also want to get Melissa's thoughts on this, too. This is this is the problem. You have an independent commission, seven members, seven nominees. They picked one. There was a campaign against uh, LaSalle and two other judges from the very beginning from the left saying we will not accept these people. These three are not acceptable. So what they've done is they've totally politicized the appointment of a judge to the Court of Appeals, and particularly the chief judge of the Court of Appeals, which is reprehensible because judges should not be political. They should not be ideological. Their job is not to rubber stamp the ideology of the left or of the right, but to interpret the state constitution and the laws of the state of New York. And there's a danger since you have a runaway state legislature with crazy impulses to tax everything, to regulate everything. The next thing they'll do is copy California and try to give reparations, and there'll be a constitutional question 
whether the state of New York can grant reparations to some folks. And do you really want to pack the court with somebody to say, amen, yes, it's a good idea? Melissa, what do you think? No, look, I couldn't agree with you more, Judge. But this is where we sort of are now. You know, Janet DeFiori, who I thought was a phenomenal judge, was sort of run out of town because she, you know, had the gall to uphold the state constitution and not be political. And what's interesting is Democrats are currently, I think, correctly railing against the Supreme Court in how right it's tilted and how it's broken with decades of precedent on things like Roe. And now we're chastising our own appointees for not, you know, doing the same thing and saying, oh, whether or not this is the law, you shouldn't uphold it because a Democrat appointed you. And so you should interpret things in ways that are favorable to Democrats. And that's sort of a scary place to be. And we can't chastise one side of the aisle and then be the same, which is what I think Democrats are sort of doing here. And I looked at that list and I thought LaSalle was the most qualified. I actually took the time to read the decision on that labor case that the unions are upset about. And You know, my interpretation is he upheld the law. And if people want to say it's a bad law and change the law, then that's an avenue for the legislature to undertake. But to say, you know, he should have interpreted the law differently in a way that was favorable to union leadership is, again, sort of a scary place to end up when we're talking about the judiciary, which is supposed to be separate and apart from the political process. So, but, you know, look, I I think... Again, it's like, where does the where does the blame lie? And I think that Hochul's administration did a terrible job on the rollout. I don't know what they were thinking in terms of, you know, lining up the correct validators. It looks like a lot of people were blindsided. The unions didn't have a heads up. So they all come out against her publicly, which to me and, you know, you guys have been watching politics a long time. When you see the head of the AFL-CIO hours after her appointee is announced, putting out a public statement criticizing it. I mean, that's, you know, sort of shows a lack of respect, which is scary for her going into next year and her negotiating posture with the legislature and in general in Albany when the head of the AFL-CIO. She's in need of Republicans, it looks like, to get her nominee through. Has that ever Um, happened that a governor can't even get her the nominee through? Never. It would be the first first time in history, Lydia. It's it's crazy. Sorry, that is weak. And the fact that she, we talked about this, she could, she went along with the pay raises of $32,000. She could have tied that up with the well, bail reform. She could have put, here. gave, made sure to get the judge's discretion, which is what Mayor Adams wants and the police commissioner has been true, pushing for. If that's true, kiss bail reform goodbye. I can, yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like things are, you know, off to a good start politically and then, you know, governmentally, I shudder when I look at what's going on up in Buffalo with this storm response. It's, it's just been a horrific couple of weeks here for New York. And what is the death toll now? I, I think yesterday we had the mayor of Buffalo on and he said it was like 27 alone up, up there. So just before the show, I saw the numbers were updated to 31. Oh. And, you know, it's everything I've been reading, and I was obviously watching it really closely. This was a big part of my job when I worked for Governor Cuomo. And, you know, the thing that is so astounding to me is that meteorologists nailed this one. They had been predicting this storm, and they did it so accurately beginning last Sunday, over a week ago. And, you know, <laughs> it's the kind of thing where when, when that happens, when people are saying there's going to be this terrible rain Thursday, flash freeze, no wind lake effect it's you know it's going to be this horrific conditions it's coming on friday 
there were no press conferences Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to sort of, you know, communicate to people the seriousness of what was going to happen and to say you've got to stay off the roads. And, and, and my friends in Rochester and, and uh, Amherst tell me that they don't have enough equipment to remove the snow. Well, and that's the thing, John. You know, it's like I look at the deployment numbers and it was clearly, you know, not up to the level of where it needed to be. And once the storm hit, and this is something I learned early on when I was working for the governor, once that snow starts to fall, it's too late. If you have advanced warning on the snow, you have to get the personnel and the equipment in place to be able to respond because once the snow starts falling, you can't move things in. That's the whole point. And so in this situation, you had the counties did road closures at 9 a.m., 9.30 a.m. on Friday with like 29-minute notice. People were already at work. The state had done it a couple of hours before, and so they weren't synced up. There was clearly no communication. And, you know, and then all of a sudden the snow falls. People are out. People are trying to get home. They're trapped in their cars. They freeze to death. And then on Saturday, she deploys 54 members of the National Guard, which, first of all, you know, you could have deployed a thousand. You could have deployed five hundred. I mean, fifty-four members to help, and then they couldn't even get in because they hadn't been sent in in advance. And so, just all the way around, I think that when the, when all is said and done, there needs to be a serious after-action report, and they need to take a hard look at what happened here, because it seems to me like they were not properly prepared. I remember just we have to wrap this up when I, w- I was a reporter for Fox and I was doing snow coverage and Governor Cuomo was in office. And I remember they told us we have to get to the hotel. This was out in Long Island before the governor closed down the roads. And we were like, what? There's not even any snow yet. This and that. I remember us complaining. And thank God he did. We were on the side of the road doing a live shot. And, of course, there was that one rogue driver. And he lost control. And I was doing the He almost hit me with his mirror while I was doing the the live shot with his, like, truck. He had, like, uh, you know, like an SUV. But I remember thinking to myself, Governor Cuomo, that was good. He had the foresight to shut down all of these roads because it really did keep people off the road. So when you hear the story about the young girl that was trapped in her car for 18 hours and died in the freezing cold and to and to know that it could have been prevented, that that's just horrific. Uh, So, you know, it's it's these storms. Nobody is perfect at responding to them, but. Every storm that happens, government's job is to learn the lessons of that storm and apply them to future storms. And the one thing that's consistent throughout is when you have a heads up, when you have advanced warning, you use that time to educate the public and to pre-deploy equipment, personnel, and you be ready. Because, you know, responding in these things is job one of government. And when you let the people down, there are life consequences, life and death consequences. And so... You know, at the end of this, I think there's going to need to be a serious look at what exactly happened here and how they can improve next time, because it doesn't look to me like it was well executed. Something tells me Hoka will not be getting a second term. Well, thank you so much, Melissa DeRosa. We have to wrap it up. All right, guys. Happy holidays. Talk soon. When we come back, a lot more to talk about. Cats at Night. This is Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis. You're a classic example of the people who built this country. On 77 WABC. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. In studio, we have John Katsimatidis. On the phone, we have Judge Weinberg. And we have Rudy Washington here. 
Rudy, you've got a lot on your mind. Tell us. Yes. Um, If you guys remember, I started reporting about mysterious uh, food production plant fires um, in early uh, early spring. And uh, I stopped counting in July, and I believe I was up to 29 mysterious major fires and uh, with nobody ever being arrested without any real answers to what happened. Um, off, off air, I speculated to you guys that I thought they were doing it through the computers and running up ballers and different things like that and causing, because a lot of it happened at night, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so I felt our food supply was under attack. We now know um, we're going to have a fertilizer shortage uh, because you need a tremendous amount of natural gas uh, to make fertilizer, and because of the cutbacks, because of the war in Ukraine, um, we're going to have a poor crop season this coming up spring because we do not have the adequate supply of fertilizers. Um, the other thing that's been bothering me, uh, if you guys remember, sometime during the summer I reported about 10,000 cows just dropped dead in, in Kansas, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And once again, uh, it was being investigated, no answers, and there's been a number of smaller type of of uh, deaths of cows, uh, not to that magnitude, across that part of the country. Um, obviously, and once again, as I talked about it, I felt that we were under attack food-wise. I also reported that over 40 million chickens and turkeys were euthanized or killed um, because of various kind of flus uh, that they were picking up. So our food supply. So if you just do the math, on the cattle alone, we're talking about 4 million meals maybe. On the birds, not to mention milk mm-hmm. production, on the birds, uh, you figure each big roaster could feed a family of four. And when you talk about 40 million being killed, not to mention the eggs. And our producer, Matt, uh, notified me uh, last two, two, three weeks ago, a big egg production plant was set on fire. And we lost millions of eggs, some crazy number of eggs. Um, right. So and I'm also reading, too, that four electricity substations in the ah, Tacoma, Lydia, Washington I area. I haven't stopped. Oh, okay. I haven't stopped. Okay, okay. All right. Um, it's 101 attacks on substations oh. this year. Wow. In the past just November and December, attacks roughly six to ten, depending on how you count them. And we're talking about someone opening fire, shooting a gun, and taking down uh, our substations. Um, the week between Thanksgiving and Christmas, North Carolina had a coordinated attack of two or three substations that put 14,000 people in the dark for over a week. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the parts come from China. So I'm looking at this, and as you just said, Lydia, Christmas Day, uh, that night, going into Christmas Day, uh, there were four attacks in Tacoma, and there were attacks in Oregon. So these are coordinated attacks. Uh, meanwhile... So there's somebody out there doing it, and the newspapers are not really writing much about it. Right. And if you ask me, John, I think it's state-sponsored. Um we, I did a little research, and I found out. What do you mean it's state-sponsored? What do you think's behind it? Well, in 2017, there was an attack. There was an attack in uh, Iran. Yeah. 
Well, why don't you get Dr. Siegel on and see what he knows about it? Dr. Siegel, we were just talking about the cows dropping dead and then the eggs. Uh, do you know? Have you heard about any of this about our food supply? I think our food supply is in a bit of a, of a tr- trouble, supply chain trouble. But you're talking about bird, the bird flu in Asia. That's something that people don't understand kills millions of birds, but not humans. So we don't have to worry about it crossing over and getting us. But we do w- have to worry about the poultry supply. And the eggs too, And the John. price of eggs is going to the moon. Yes, cause, and you had a major uh, factory fire last week um, with eggs. Uh, and this is why, you know, John C. is is in the oil business rather than in the chicken business. But uh, certainly uh, the other problem is how these how chickens are raised and, and how eggs are, are raised, are, 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 are produced. All of this is a problem. Yeah, so somebody's t- testing us. And my worry, having had to live through 9-11 uh, and, and down at ground, ground Zero and now suffering from that, I'm very sensitive when I see, and then the government, uh, you know, for North Carolina, Lydia, first thing came out of the government's mouth was white nationalists. <laughs> and I laugh because I'm like, okay, if you know it's white nationalists, why don't you go arrest them? <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, so it's not white nationalists. This is highly coordinated. Um and it's happened in various parts of the country. I mean, so we already know, uh, as Dr. Siegel would testify to, that uh, our young people are being poisoned by fentanyl. It's not overdose, it's poisoning. And uh, we know that the cartel's in bed with China, you know, and they're bringing it, and then they're p- crossing the border. So if you know that, you, you've got to figure out how many terrorists have been, walked across the border. You know, from Iran, from South Korea, from Russia, Dr. China. Siegel, how devastating do you think fentanyl will be to this to this country? I mean, we've already seen over 100,000 people. Let me give you an idea die. of something just to, just to emphasize what was just said. First of all, the ingredients are coming from China and India, but primarily China. Secondly, they're taking the place of the poppy plant, which is dying off. But those two cartels in Mexico, the Sinaloa and the Jalisco cartels, those main two are making over 90 percent of this fentanyl, which can be made in a lab that's about 10 feet i mean literally like breaking bad like that like that show breaking bad very very similar hundreds and thousands get this the dea last year confiscated 50 million fake pills to his to his point fake pills where some teen going on snapchat thinks they're getting something else and it's laced with fentanyl which is 50 times more powerful than morphine then there's the nitazines which are even more powerful than that all of this is jeopardizing our teens our youth and fentanyl by the way lasts for days. So even if you have an antidote for it, the antidote wears off. This is why you saw over 100,000 uh, drug overdose deaths last year, about 70% of them from fentanyl. And if, and the border, of course, is the biggest issue because he's right. They're just parading across the border, you know, w- without without being checked. We're losing control of our country. And there's no other way to say it. I mean, uh, exactly we need right. we need people in Washington that care about our country more, and and give them the ability to do the right job. Right. We we just launched the largest FBI investigation ever, and guess what it was on? It was on protesters at January sixth. I mean, that's been their largest investigation ever. They put more manpower. It into wasn't that. terrorism. No. I mean, th- th- that is such crap. I mean, of all the people inside the Capitol building, there was one that had a gun. That's not a revolution. That's not an insurrection. 
I mean, the, the, the American people, how do you say it nicely, are being conned. Mm. Yeah, By I, the way, one, one tiny bit of positive news I do have to say with all of what was just said that I completely agree with. At least the Supreme Court is delaying the demise of Title 42, and they're going to hear the case in February. And they better decide to uphold it, because we still have a public health emergency that was declared and extended by the Biden administration. Of course we need Title 42, not just for COVID, but for the whole idea of people bringing illness into the country. Well, thank you, Dr. Siegel, and thank you for always coming on. And thank you, Lydia. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Washington. You know, and Judge Weinberg. And Judge Weinberg, of course. I, I see. I don't see him. Exactly. So, but he's in, uh, he's in our voice. And tomorrow morning, I will be on with Curtis between 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock. Lydia is taking uh, uh, Brian Kilmeade's filling uh, spot, in for- filling in between mm-hmm. 10 and 12. So you're going to have us all day tomorrow. All day long. We're going to talk about what matters most to Americans, right? What do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American American way. way. God bless America.